Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 30th, 2018, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We still have a few spots available for our two upcoming Starseed Quests to Arkansas, but they are filling fast. The first one is for Spring Equinox, Athena's birthday, which is March 16th through the 19th, and for Pleiadian Lineup, it's May 18th through the 21st. All you need to have is at least one galactic star marking on your astrological chart at 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a soul group reunion in the crystal capital of the world designed to enable a catalyst for starseed empowerment to higher frequencies. We've redesigned this event to be much more affordable than the previous gathering, so if this sounds like what you've been looking for, just write to crystals, that's plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com for more details. Well, we've got a fun show for you tonight with Karen Stuth of Sadiyama Publishing, who will introduce and discuss Quintangled, a game of strategy, choice, and destiny. This visually delightful and always fascinating board game invites players to explore the intricate world of Quintangled, where every experience will be different. Your journey will include surmounting perils, meeting allies, and the element oracles. You will perform a shadow act, obtain your superpower, gift other players with heroic acts, and experience the many twists and turns of fate. A roll of the eight-sided die will determine whether you will become the Red Knight, the Purple Monarch, the Green Healer, the White Priestess, or one of the eight character archetypes. Magical aid will assist you as you step onto the path to begin your journey, travel to the abyss, and emerge as your heroic self. Deeply inspired by the work of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, developers Karen Stuth, Julie Lore, and Susan Andrew Lyon spent five years crafting Quintangled, where your choices create your outcome and wisdom earned decides who wins the game. The adventure of Quintangled is the adventure of life and will be available for pre-order at www.indiegogo, that's I-N-D-I-E, gogo.com on February 4th and on our show page you'll find a link to view a demo video at the top of the show it's Anastasia's Starseed News bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream and we'd like to thank Jada, Fiona and Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who may have a question or comment for our guest You can check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk, and if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for starseedhotline.com is 888 881-0881. 
The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's Discovery of Star Markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it about three months ahead of your birthday so you can get it in before the 10 hours happens because we do have a waiting list. So uh, first tonight, it is um, Anastasia's wonderful Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia. Hi there, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. Great to be back with you this week. Oh, that game sounds like so much fun. It's going to be a fun show, and what a clever, innovative thing to do. I just think that's a trip. That's going to be a great game to play. So while I have a chance to congratulate the creators of this, I want to do so. I just think that is far out and wonderful. All right. Well, we have a blank sun right now. There are no sunspots. But there is, as you all know, I'm sure you do, we're coming up on a, on a lunar eclipse early tomorrow morning. The full moon is about to pass through the shadow of Earth. It's going to turn our normally gray moon into a lovely shade of copper orange. And when you should look, well, in North America, in Eastern time zone, the partial eclipse will begin at 6.48 a.m. Now, the moon will set before the start of the total eclipse So people in the eastern time zone will not be able to catch that. Now for the central time zone, the total eclipse will begin at 6.52 a.m. And the moon will probably set before the totality ends. In mountain time, the eclipse will begin at 5.52 mountain standard time. And the moon again will set before the end of the partial umbral eclipse. And in the Pacific time zone, the eclipse will begin at 4.52 a.m. The moon may set before the end of the partial umbral eclipse. So make a pot of coffee or tea or whatever you need to wake up in the morning and pop out of bed early enough to catch a glimpse of this because it is a blue moon. Tomorrow's full moon is also the third in a series of three straight full moon supermoons. That is super close full moon. It is the first of two blue moons in 2018, so it's not just a total lunar eclipse or a blue moon or a super moon. As I've told you in the last few weeks, it's all three. It's a super blue moon total eclipse. And by the way, if any of our listeners live in the Middle East or Asia, Indonesia, Australia, or New Zealand, this this lunar eclipse will happen in the evening hours after sunset tomorrow. So... Lots happening in the skies tonight. Now we have a near-Earth asteroid passing by as well, not too terribly, ter- terribly close. 2018 BE6 is whizzing by the sky this evening and in t- into the wee hours of the morning at 3.4 lunar distances. So we have some extreme weather in China that's forcing thousands of evacuations due to heavy snowfall and ice. It's causing chaos over much of China. Um, This is happening in central and eastern China. It happened over the weekend. I think it's still continuing. Not sure about that. This is Tuesday. They said that hundreds of flights and trains were canceled due to heavy snow and ice, and rescue operations are being rolled out across China. 
More than 4,000 people had to be relocated in the eastern province of Anhu after their homes were damaged by snowstorms, with approximately 481,000 people were um, impacted by this storm. They say rescue workers were dispatched to repair power lines and clean snow and ice from roads, while civil affairs authorities sent quilts, coats, and food to affected members of the public. What a miserable situation. Bless their hearts. And in the Philippines, motorists have been stopped, blocked, uh, roadblocks caused by heavy asphalt from the Mayan volcano. That's been going off. Uh, two towns uh, had to be evacuated because of poor visibility as the, lava blew, as the volcano blew more lava in columns of ash. Now, large lava eruption lasted more than an hour and a half yesterday. The volcano belched an ash plume that reached one and a half kilometers or one mile above the crater, uh, above the crater, excuse me. And this did cause that ash fall I've been talking about that caused roads to be closed. Now, authorities have been urging residents to seek treatment for any skin irritation or health issues from the ash and asking them to clean their roofs and cars uh, because of the corrosive effect of the ash. Now, you know, I thought about that. And I don't know that I would tell people go out to go outside and stir that up. That would make it even harder on you. So, But that's what they're recommending. I think I would opt to protect my lungs and leave the car and, <laughs> car and roofs intact in the way they are. But the volcano has been erupting for more than two weeks. In all, it's forced over 80,000 villagers to flee to shelters. They say it's been belching this red-hot lava, huge columns of ash and molten rocks into the sky, and plunging communities into darkness with this falling ash. It's remained at alert level four on a scale of five. They say, though, a more violent eruption could be imminent. Scientists are worried that uh, the volcano is so swollen with magma that it could erupt with an explosion. And in southern Arkansas, there was a loud boom in the sky, and nobody knows what caused it. Last Saturday, there were hundreds of reports of a loud boom, and soon thereafter, residents in the Magnolia area of Arkansas, about 100 miles, 108 miles southwest of Pine Bluff, also reported hearing similar sounds. Now, the National Weather Sur Service in North Little Rock ruled out any weather-related noises, such as thunder, and the police department also reported no information on the sound, which some residents south of Pine Bluff reported shook their homes. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office also offered no explanation. Nobody knows. And online theories ranged the causes from a sonic boom to UFOs or even to ice cracking up in the Arkansas River. And as of today, Tuesday, there's been no additional information uh, provided. Well, this is, I don't know if you've all heard, heard about this. I've been kind of following it, and it's, it's really pretty unbelievable. <clears throat> Cape Town, South, South Africa, has what they call reached the point of no return because that city is set to run out of water. They're going to run out of water. There's been a drought, and it's continuing, and water levels have plummeted in Cape Town's dams, and the city's 4 million residents are facing a slew of emergency measures happening right now today. Messages of conservation have fallen on deaf ears, the city fathers claim, that necessitates a crackdown on water usage. According to the city, the mayor, she said, we have reached a point of no return. 
despite our urging for months. 60% of Cape Tonians are callously using more than 23 gallons of water per day. It's not much water. And as of February 1st, uh, to a couple of days from now, usage is going to be restricted to 13 gallons per person per day to make up for months of overuse. Well, 13 gallons of water a day, this includes for flushing toilets, washing clothes, bathing, mopping, drinking, and cooking, all of it, 13 gallons per person in two days. Now, the city has announced water collection points, which will become the only way to obtain water for personal use when the dam levels continue to drop. They are predicting the taps will be shut off and residents will be able to receive about five gallons per person each day. Cape Town, South Africa is really, truly running out of water. That's wild. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Well, in this age of technology, uh, you guys really heard all the buzz about self-driving cars. It kind of pops mm-hmm. up now and then, but I didn't really realize that it's eminent. Did you know it's eminent, Ariel? Self-driving cars? I've seen some, yeah, I've seen some stuff about that. Like next year. Like, you know, it's coming We'll be going down the interstates, and there will be cars, and people won't be driving them. They're just going to be sitting in them. Whew, boy, I don't know. Well, they did a poll. They did a poll to test people like me to see what they thought about it. And although self-driving cars are becoming more of a reality every day, the majority of Americans don't like the idea, according to a recent poll. Now, when asked whether they felt comfortable with the notion of riding in an entirely self-driving car, a whopping 67% of Americans said they didn't want to do it. And only 27% said they were comfortable with the idea. Now, it was 38% of men that said self-driving vehicles are okay, compared to only 16% of females. Now, not surprising, that so-called millennial age group is the most approving, with 38% in favor of the technology compared to 16% of baby boomers. Interesting. 16% females and 16% baby boomers. Well, the survey comes as automatic and, excuse me, as automotive and technology executives are pushing American lawmakers to pass legislation that will loosen restrictions on testing and deploying self-driving cars. Oh, by all means, let's don't test them. Let's get them on the road, people. <laughs> <laughs> let's... <laughs> Meanwhile, companies including General Motors and Alphabet Inc.'s Waymo are aiming to release the first wave of self-driving cars. GM's self-driving Chevy Bolt, which doesn't contain pedals or a steering wheel, is set to become the first production-ready car without human control tools by 2019, excuse me, 2019, next year. I think I'm going to get a bicycle or maybe I'll start hiking. <laughs> anyway, there we have it. You cannot resist progress. It will come. It will come. It marches on. Well, in Chicago, they have had some weird stuff happening. They have had repeated Mothman sightings. Have you heard about that, Ariel? Not recently. No. Have you heard about it like last year? Were you following that? Yeah, I heard something about it, I think, last year. Uh, you might even brought it up. Well, they uh, probably maybe I did. <laughs> and 
Anyway, there's an article about it in uh, today's news, and it's about a man named John who was working a Friday night shift as a security guard for a, a company in Chicago. Actually, it was a, a bar. But when he went outside, he saw something really weird. He said, I saw a plane flying, but also something moving really strangely under it. It didn't look like a bat so much as pictures of pterodactyls. And it had a slender head, and its wing shape was weird. I know what birds and bats look like. The thing didn't have any feathers or fur, and it didn't fly like anything I've ever seen. Well, John went on to say that the thing had muscular legs, a jutting tailbone, and a human-like shape, and that it flew in a strange swooping motion, undulating up and down. What John saw that night was one of 55 reported Chicago-area sightings of a flying humanoid last year. Accounts have varied from a large black bat-like being with glowing red eyes to a big owl or something that resembled a gothic gargoyle or a mothman. Most eyewitnesses in Chicago spotted the being in flight, but some particularly disturbing reports detailed it as dropping onto hoods of cars, peering through windows, and swooping down at bystanders. Now, this is a metropolitan area, guys. Wow. Well, there is a writer named Strickler. His book, Mothman Destiny, Chicago's Winged Humanoids, was released last month. This man has been investigating paranormal sightings since the late 70s and claims to have been both a mothman and who to have seen both mothman and Bigfoot. Now, since the rash of sightings started... uh, Last February, in 2017, he was painstaking, uh, painstakingly interviewing witnesses, and he documented all their accounts. And according to this author, these Chicago sightings are unlike anything he's seen in his decades of investigating these kinds of sightings. He says, this group of sightings is historical in cryptozoology terms. For one, it's happening in an urban area for the most part, and there are so many sightings in one period. He added that he believes that there are at least three flying humanoids around Chicago due to the varied locations, the concentration of sightings in certain neighborhoods, and small differences in the eyewitness testimonies. Now, the main reference point that this author uses for explaining this phenomenon was the wave of reported Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, from 1966 to 1967, when there were several reports of a large, man-like bird with glowing red eyes. And local folklore later tied this so-called monster to a bad omen that was connected with the tragic bridge collapse in 1967. Well, now you guys probably know that these sightings were popularized by John uh, Keel's 1975 novel, The Mothman Prophecies, which was later made into a 2002 film. And since 2002, the, the town has commemorated the Mothman sightings with an annual festival, and so on and so forth. But the author doesn't believe that what Chicagoans have been seeing are harbingers of bad things to come. He said, these beings are less aggressive than the one in Point Pleasant, for the most part. I believe overall, there was only one being in the Point Pleasant area that was seen during that period. 
while he's not sure why Chicagoans are seeing what they're seeing, he says, I think they're flesh and blood beings that are maybe interdimensional, that maybe are not of this world. Wild, huh? Wow. I mean, 55 sightings in a metropolitan place like Chicago last year. That's like, you know, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, What happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was a kind of a fluke. And then all of a sudden, what are we, uh, 40-some years later, maybe close to 50 years later, here it comes in this big mass uh, sightings of 55 people in in a populated area. High strangeness, real high strangeness. That's for sure. Well, I have a, I have a funny quote for you tonight. Reba McIntyre said this: "To thrive in life, you need three bones: a wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone." So let <laughs> us remember that: <laughs> a wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. I like that. So that's it for tonight's news. Don't let the Mothman mm-hmm. thing scare you guys. It's just wildness. Amazing stuff going on. And I hope you all get a chance to see the uh, the lunar eclipse uh, early in the morning if you're able to get out of bed. Be nice. So yeah. from my heart to yours, much love. Have a great week, everybody. Tonight's show is going to be great. And we'll talk um, again next week. Is, yes. Thanks so much, Anastasia, for the wonderful starseed news. And uh, we will have more next week. Okay. So now I am going to, um, uh, I'm trying to click here what happened to the screen. Um, Okay. I'm going to get um, our guest, Karen Stooth, and Lavendar's microphone open. Okay. Okay. We're on go. Hey, Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Oh, we're we're just really excited to hear about this. I know it's been five years in the making. So, um, uh, Lavender, are you, are you set to go? I'm set to go. All righty. Well, Karen, uh, start from the beginning and just tell us how all this came about with with you and 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 uh, and Julie Lohr. Well, uh, five. It was actually been. Uh, it's been, you know. Actually, I think we're coming up on six years here this May, uh, but about uh, five and a half years ago, Julie, Laura, and I were talking on the phone because I was interested, you know, in having my publishing company publish something of hers. I like everything that she does, and she's a remarkable esoteric scholar. And as we were talking, she said, I've had an idea for the longest time about creating a board game that is the adventure of life. And so we got to talking about that, and I was definitely intrigued. And so we decided that we would set a time for her to come uh, to where I am, and we would uh, spend a whole weekend talking about that. And we did. So she came, and we discussed, you know, what the game might be about and, you know, what would make it interesting and, you know, what would be the purpose of, you know, something like that and, you know, Julie uh, definitely wanted to build a game around ideas that she has uh, been inspired by from Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. So we um, decided that we would invite in a third game partner, Susan Andrelion, 
who is a remarkable artist, uh, graphic designer, and she had actually worked on a game for a company in corporate America that she had worked for quite a while back. They had made a game that new employees would play to learn the company. So she had a little bit of experience in doing something like that. So we began uh, working on the game, and we started out by um, narrowing down to eight archetypes that would be our game characters. And over a five-year period, we would meet for these extremely long weekends, three- to four-day weekends, and we would work and work and work on the game, um, you know, thinking about how it would be played, what would the rules look like, um, how would players move around the game board, what were our um, true objectives of the game, what did we want people to get out of it. So over a five-year period, and it was a very interesting process because often we would go away and not see each other for three to four months and we'd come back together and maybe change everything we had done the meeting before that. <laughs> but it was uh, it was a remarkable experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about each other. Um, you know, I would say if you think you have good communication skills, try building a game with someone and you'll find out how good they are. <laughs> But uh, that is uh, sort of how it came into being. So, so let me ask you, is this like a, a monopoly? Is this a, a, a physical game that you sit down and play, or is it done on the computer? No, no, this is a tabletop game. Oh, okay. So it can be played um, for – it, it is able to be played for up to eight players. I think the most fun is with four I think the least fun is with two because, you know, it's just not enough interaction. It's definitely a game of strategy. But uh, the game is built so that you first roll the eight-sided dice to um, decide which or the dice tells you which of the eight archetype uh, characters you will be. You know, will you be the the green lover? I mean, the um, orange lover, the green healer, the indigo sage you know if you roll a one you're going to be ferris the red knight if you roll a seven you're the purple monarch if you roll an eight you're the white priestess so the dice tells you you're you're going to be for that game and then all the players depart from home which is the first of the five phases of uh, this quest game so they depart from the ordinary world and they go immediately to the wizard's castle where everyone receives magical aid and then you begin traveling around what is a pretty intricate uh, game board. In the first half of the game, all the players must visit the four corners of the board, however you get there. And, you know, mostly people kind of scatter and go in different directions. So you must visit the oracle of each of the four corners, the oracle of fire, the oracle of air, of water, of earth and collect a duel from each of those. You have to answer the oracle's question. And then you must commit a shadow act. Every character has a character flaw um, that must be overcome in the game. And so they um, do a shadow act. And the shadow act is, you know, like sending another player maybe back to the threshold or maybe they'll send them to the fiery fiend or um, the desert demon, it, it on the character card, your shadow act is already decided for you. 
So as you know, as people are playing the games as their characters, uh, one of the things that was important for Julie was for people to learn about the archetype. So as you play, for example, as Porfiro, the purple monarch, you're going to learn the element for uh, the purple monarch, which is fire. You'll learn that his heroic quest is for dominion. His talisman is the crown. His animal ally is the lion. His nemesis would be Diablo, the fiery fiend. And his mentor would be Elder, the gatekeeper. So these are some of the things that you'll be learning about archetypes just by playing the game. So in the first half of the game, after you go around the board and you collect your element tokens, then you go to the abyss, which is the third phase of the journey. The first phase is departing from home. The second phase is descending from the ordinary world. Um, The third phase is definitely going to the abyss. And while in the abyss, one for each unsuccessful roll, you start to lose all your magical aid. So after three tries, you're going to get out of the abyss either way, but you may come out of there entirely naked, no magical aid, <laughs> nothing to help you, but you do emerge as your heroic, where in the game you become the hero. And you receive your talisman. So whatever your talisman is for your character, you receive that. And on the back of your talisman card, it has a superpower, which can only be used one time in an active strategy. In the second half of the game, it's really quite different because as your heroic self, you have to visit the heart center and uh, meet your animal ally. And then you have to do heroic acts for the other players. Interestingly, they can refuse your heroic act. So... You know, you can offer a heroic act there on your character card, and the other players in an active strategy might say, no, I don't accept. So, you know, you have to do your heroic act somehow before you can start to move toward the gatekeeper to home. And that, to me, is the most interesting part of the game, (laughs) whether people are going to um, be willing to accept your heroic acts or not. But the entire game is built around astrology, um, around... Um, the archetype work um, that we know about from Carl Jung, inspired by many of the themes in Joseph Campbell's writing. And it's also incredibly visually beautiful. So people often tell us that they enjoy playing the game because they always feel better afterwards. And I I find that fascinating (laughs) because some of the things that could happen in the game might, you know, require you to commit a dastardly act, but they're still having fun. It's a joyful game, and um, it's very unusual. We don't know of another game like this out there anyplace. So does does the game show cause and effect? Does it show cause and effect? Um, I would say yes, because your outcome in the game is completely based on your choices. So, How about the heroic acts? Is that like a sacrifice, or is that something that you're doing for some, some someone else that they wouldn't do for themselves. I don't understand about the heroic act. Okay, well, let me give you some examples. Um, I'm holding the character card for Ferris the Red Knight. Um, if you uh, rolled a one and became Ferris the Red Knight, you have five heroic acts to choose from. Um, you can um, move a player two spaces or the player's character number. Um, You can use Valor to change places uh, with a player if they're in a peril. So you can go into the peril yourself 
and let the other player out. Um, you can move another player to a protective fire element space. You can use your um, animal ally, which in this case is Blaze the Steed, um, to race past any obstacle and carry another player to any space on the board. And the fifth one is always a heroic act that you make up of your choice. In this case, it says that my awakened heart creates a heroic act of my choice, so I can uh, make a heroic act that will benefit another player. It has to benefit another player uh, without uh, benefiting you. What's the age group uh, for this game? 14 and above. 14 um, it's, a, it's a real game of strategy, so we don't – we think that, you know, our um, research and our testing, uh, you know, teased out that, you know, 14-year-olds and above were completely capable of and actually were quite good at the strategy. Below that, um, you know, it was uh, maybe a little bit over their head, just a little bit. Of course, there are some r- remarkable 13-year-olds out there. So. That's true. So, so what else, does anything else come with the game? With the game comes the game board, comes the character cards. Um, each of the oracle corners has their own set of wisdom cards, and each one of them has a piece of wisdom. So when you get your when you get a wisdom card, you read it aloud to the other players. Um, a set of fate cards, a set of magical aid cards, of course the talisman cards and the animal ally cards, the dice, all the game pieces. And um, a real simplified set of instructions. So we uh, spent nearly a year just working on the instructions to make sure that they were extremely easy to understand and that we had them all on one big card. But the best thing that comes with the game is a little book called The World of Q, A Deeper Look. And this is written by um, Julie Lohr and dedicated to the memory of Joseph Campbell. And it talks about each of the archetypes in detail. It also talks about the five phases of the game, depart, descend, um, the abyss, uh, return, and restore. And it gives a uh, more detailed uh, look into, you know, the purposes behind the eight archetypes. Reading the book is not in the least required. It's for people who would like to know more. You can never read the book and play a game for the rest of your life. You don't need to read the book to play the game. It's just a little extra uh, thing that we wanted to include. So once you start the game, how long does the game last? Like an hour, two hours, or it, no time it limit, on, or what? It depends on how – there's no time limit, but it depends on how many people are playing. So when I play just with my sister, my sister and I, we finish the game in 40 minutes – when I'm playing with four people, it's more like an hour and a half. Okay. Wow. You know, I was thinking about all the the um, kids that started reading Harry Potter years ago. Yes. And, and they're up and grown now, okay? <laughs> and they're having children, and their their children are reading Harry Potter. And it's like, this is for that group of folks right away, I see. Well, it's uh, definitely for anybody who loves an action-adventure game because we say that, you know, Quintangled is the adventure of life. It's an adventure game that's the adventure of life, and it definitely has a lot of, um, you know, elements that I think would appeal 
definitely to the Harry Potter crowd. Um, but I think that, you know, anybody over the age of 14 is really going to love this game. It's, you know, definitely uh, built in particular by an esoteric scholar with a lot of esoteric themes and ideas. And, you know, if you love the writing of Joseph Campbell, I think a lot of that would it'll resonate uh, with you as well. But you don't even have to know who Joseph Campbell is to enjoy this game. Are you familiar with the template of The Hero's Journey? No, I'm not, no. Well, The Hero's Journey is a um, a template that Joseph Campbell, who was a uh, a scholar who taught at Sarah Lawrence for many years, he discovered by studying the mythology of most of the cultures that have lived on the planet that there's a common thread that runs through mythology um, where, you know, uh, ordinary people, you know, leave their life and then stuff happens that uh, he called the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is actually a required template for any script that's presented in Hollywood. It's difficult to get a movie made if you can't illustrate exactly how your script was built around the hero's journey, whether it's a, you know, a fantasy movie or not. It could just be a straight-up drama. Um, But, you know, uh, the Star Wars, um, first three Star Wars movies in particular, were so templated to the hero's journey that George Lucas actually brought Joseph Campbell out to California to look at the script with him and make sure that he felt that it was true to form. So um, it is a pattern that runs through mythology that resonates with everyone, whether they realize it or not. Wow. Wow. That reminds me that I I do have the original screenplay of the first Star Wars. It was sent to me by someone that was working on on the film at the time. And I just discovered it again the other day. I'm going, oh, I've got a copy of the first Star Wars. How about that? (laughs) That's really wonderful. Um, So, you know, if people um, enjoy quest movies of any kind, if they like uh, quest novels, if they like mythology, if they like um, the esoteric sciences, if they like astrology, you know, they they will like this game, you know. And you don't have to know anything about any of those things or even have them matter to you to own and play the game every day because every time you play it, it's going to be completely and totally different as your choices, as in most games, you know, your choices um, create your outcome, but they especially do in this game. And the so thing tell me, most- how will you uh, get it out to the world? Have you thought about all the different places that you're going to advertise or put it? Well, we are um, – we are running a, our crowdfunding program starting Sunday. It will be up on Indiegogo, and people can order it. They can pre-order a copy, which will be signed by the three game developers uh, for the 30 days beginning February 4th. And so we'd love for everyone to go in and pre-order a copy, which will then we be delivered about mid-June. Um, you know, our printers are ready to go. We have all our files done. The game is ready. And uh, so now we're in our pre-sales phase of the game. So first we will uh, run our Indiegogo campaign, and then after that um, we have distributors already ready to go to distribute it for us. And, of course, it will be on Amazon, and it will be on our website, Satyama's website, which is S-A-T-I-A-M-A. 
And uh, so you can go to Satyama.com, but not for the pre-order phase. You can only pre-order through Indiegogo, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O, and pre-order a copy, as many copies as you like. You can also get a cool T-shirt. This will be the only time we're going to have the T-shirts with our beautiful dragon logo on it. And I don't know if you saw the logo or saw the promo video um, that I sent over, but you can see that all in there. Um, I, I so wasn't you, able to open Dropbox for some reason. I They wanted me to join, and I, I just don't join things, so I didn't join. <laughs> you have well, to join in uh, order to, to open your Dropbox. Well, um, Ariel has a, a link that I created out of Dropbox, so you can just click the link and watch it whether you're a member or not. Okay. Okay, good. I'll do that later. Yeah. Oh, and this I, just sounds... I put that... I put that link up on the show page so everybody can get to it. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. Okay. Um, well, just tell us more about your business. You're publishing a lot of different um, people at this time. If you want to tell us about some of your other work, we'd love to hear about it. Well, we have um, uh, brought in so many uh, new authors over the past year Um, You know, we are kind of known for children's books, but we do uh, publish quite a few books for adults, too. It's just that, you know, we're more known for our children's things because our first publication uh, were the Children's Spirit Animal Cards by Dr. Stephen Farmer. But in the past year, we've brought out some other things that I think are um, extremely special, and I I uh, definitely want to call out a couple of them that are uh, really doing extremely well out there. One is Divine Dog Wisdom Cards. This is a set of uh, 64 cards and a booklet that are some of the loveliest wisdom cards that you will ever see. They are digitally painted uh, pictures of dogs, and the premise behind uh, the deck is that dogs, just like spirit, are a source of unconditional love. And uh, certainly that theme runs all through the, the cards themselves and the booklet. They're just extremely beautiful. And, you know, if anybody loves dogs, they're going to, <laughs> they're going to love uh, th- this card deck so much. It's uh, really a remarkable work by two um, authors, uh, one from Santa Fe and the other from uh, down in the corner of the Four Corners area of Colorado, Barb Horn and Randy Crutcher. And they just have, they did an extraordinary job uh, with this deck. So we had uh, so many uh, pre-orders and it did so well even before uh, the decks arrived that they're more than two-thirds gone already. So, you know, we'll be getting another print run in, you know, rather soon. But they're on Amazon as well as, on our website and you know if you don't have a copy of those and you just need something that's going to make you smile every single day you're going to want to have divine dog wisdom cards um and another uh book that we um helped to bring out last year through satyama writers resource is a lovely little fantasy book called willowmina's quest and i simply adore this book um if you like the lion the witch and the wardrobe or books in that genre, you're absolutely going to love Wilhelmina's Quest. It's a small novella about Wilhelmina, who is a motherless girl wandering in the land of bleak, and she falls over a fairy with a broken wing, and 
they become travel companions. And I won't give away the plot or the ending, but when I received the manuscript and sat down to read it, um, I loved it so much. I just kept reading and reading, and I kept saying, okay, I'm going to put that manuscript down and go do something else. And I just kept coming back to it. Um, So it's really a wonderful little story, and that would be for, you know, ages maybe 10 and above. But I've been uh, fascinated by the number of adults that are buying Wilhelmina's Quest, and there are five more uh, books in that series coming. So I really want to shout that book out. Um, It's a remarkable book. It got the Ben Franklin Silver Medal, and it's really lovely. Uh, I think everybody's going to want to have a copy of that, too. And it's a real fast read because it is a novella. So so who's the author? Oh, I'm sorry. I never said that. Sandra Ray, R-H-E-A, Sandra Ray, R-H-E-A. She's a school teacher in um, Houston. And in addition to writing her own books, she also uh, teaches and runs children's literacy circles for kids as young as six, and she gets them journaling and writing at a very early age, uh, not only improving their language and reading skills, but their self-confidence enormously. She's uh, quite a remarkable person in her own right. So should we have her on our show? Oh, I think so. I think she would love to come on your show. Well, send send me her book and her information Give me a review copy, and I'll I will schedule her. Oh, it's it's done. I'll I'll send it to you tomorrow. She'll be absolutely delighted by that. And then uh, we have another author that we've worked with. <coughs> excuse me for the past um, two years, and she's actually a painter. But she began she she painted a painting one day, and she took it to her critique group, her painting critique group, her art critique group, and she put this painting up on the easel, and everyone said, who's that woman? And she said, oh, no, there's there's no woman in that painting. And they said, we beg to differ, there's a woman right there. And they all saw her. And so she said she took it home, and she put it on the easel in her studio, and she said the next day she was walking by, and she totally saw Tula, a woman named Tula, well, now I believe there are 23 Tula paintings. So not only did Tula come through, but talks to her as she is painting. And so she has uh, created a channeled gift book called The Truth of Tula um, that I also uh, really love. It's got the first 24 uh, pictures of Tula paintings in there, and they're really special. And I'm honored to own one and have it in my living room. And it's Tula meditating, and I look at it every day. The thing I love about Tula and the book, The Truth of Tula, is that when you look at the paintings, you know, your truth about that painting is totally going to come through. And Tula doesn't have any face because she is every woman. So um, that is another one that is just extremely special. The Truth of Tula by Diana Kate done and oh my goodness wow i know a lot of our listeners right now are jumping up and down you know when we go to our arkansas quest there's something that happens for for everyone that goes there about an indian story about an indian group called tula so tula is a very big word for us in, in arkansas when we do our quest 
Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to tell the author that. She's going to be absolutely uh, thrilled and delighted to hear that. And we're um, starting to get a lot of Tula stories that are happening. It's about an Indian tribe that that where the women were um, absolutely strong and powerful, and they ran DeSoto and his men out. It's a oh quite my a story. Goodness. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> and there were Tula women. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, please keep going. Well, it's just that's all I wanted to say about it. Um it's 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 something in the making. And I know that Tammy, if she's listening right now, she's just probably beside herself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth of Tula, everybody go to Amazon and order the truth of Tula. Um you know, I think that, you know, Diana said many times I learned things about myself that I didn't, you know, realize that I knew or you know, that uh, things emerged for me from Tula as, you know, I was painting her. And she's always surrounded by bubbles of light in every painting. Um, these colorful, jewel-toned uh, bubbles of light, that's one of the signature things in all the paintings. So um, right now quite, quite a few of the Tula paintings are down in a gallery in Tucson, um, which I don't know the name of, but um, the first 24 are in um, the book, and I think um, we're planning volume two. So um, be looking for that perhaps around Christmas. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You do such pretty work, and you're really dedicated to uh, getting our metaphysical uh, goddess messages out, and I just really appreciate the time and energy that you've taken to put your company together, and I know it hasn't been easy. But here you are. It, it has not been easy. It's very hard to be a small publisher. Um, a lot of bookstores don't want to do businesses business with small publishers. A lot of libraries don't want to do business with small publishers. But we've been extremely lucky to pick up seven distributors, and um, so that has been, you know, our secret sauce. I think that we have these wonderful um, distributors behind us all the time, and of course our. Stuff is all available on Amazon and on our own website, too. But um, I only take on a publishing project if I really feel it all the way to my bones. And if I don't, um, I'm not interested in publishing anything just because we're trying to make some money. You know, it, that's just not who we are. So, well, And that says a great deal about who you are. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> well th- thank you. Thank you so much. Um, well, I really well, it's like it's like our website. You know, we're not for everyone. We we are really here for star seeds, walk-ins, and light workers. And and we said that on our first page on our website. And guess what? That's the kind of people that we attract. We really don't attract a lot of third-dimensional soccer moms that just have other things on their mind. You know, it, right. it has to be geared toward the kinds of of things that we're involved in with higher evolutionary thought with with um, celestial beings, with high strangeness, with um, people that are on the planet that are here to do their missions and know and know who they are and know why they came. And it, it's been a, a really wonderful thing for us to experience the kinds of um, star seeds that are showing up for us. So I applaud you for specializing because it's important to specialize. It's I, not about I, being I, a snob. It's about... It's about being 
discerning about how you want to spend your time and energy and to who and for how long and and for the kids that are coming to the planet. That is really the, the the key to success about anything, I think, is, you know, making sure that, you know, the purpose feels true for you. And, you know, the word Satyama, the name of our company, is a word we built out of the word Sat, the Sanskrit word Sat, which I'm sure everyone knows. And it has many meanings, but one of them is the ultimate or the best. But then in the middle of our name is the I am. So we had Sat and then we added the I am, which is, your own truth, the truth of who you are. And it's your own Christ consciousness, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. But it's really, uh, you know, you standing in your own soul purpose. And then we just added the ah sound at the end. So we'd have three times the ah sound in our name, which is the heart chakra sound. So when you say ah, it is opening the heart chakra three times. So that's where the word Satyama came from. Uh, people ask us about that all the time. It's a rather long explanation, but I think that we've been true to the purpose of Satyama since our first day. Yeah. So tell me, how does it work with libraries? How do you get uh, some of your work into into libraries around the around the country? What's the criteria for for them buying your book? Do you know? Well, um, librarians. Um, uh, first of all, they uh, really. Um, they like to carry, uh, you know, first first editions of things, and they like to carry especially hardback books if they can get them because they last longer in the collection than soft covers. So, you know, when I'm approaching librarians, if my book is hardcover, and most of ours are, you know, I'll, I'll mention that first off because now they're more interested. And then I explain that we don't, Um, use print-on-demand because librarians are fundamentally against print-on-demand for two primary reasons. One is that uh, often the paper quality and the binding are very poor. So after, you know, a short period of time, and I received many books in the mail from other people, and when I opened the book and it cracked down the spine the first time I opened it, I know that it was a print-on-demand book, you know, because so often the binding is is not good, and that's not good for a librarian to have a book like that in their collection. So, I, you know, you have to reassure them that it wasn't a print-on-demand book. And then, um, you know, the un- and by the way, the other reason they don't like print-on-demand is because no one is making an editorial pass over this book so that they know it's of a particular quality. So librarians tend to head for the biggest publishing houses, Simon & Schuster, Random, House, places like that because uh, they do feel like that there's been an inherent, you know, uh, passing over that, you know, it is of a particular quality. To get around that, small publishers and self-publishers should enter their books into some of the major book award programs. So when I'm selling to the library market and there are specialized catalogs and other places where you can put your books that go out to all the librarians, um, you know, if the book has won an award, you know, that's all over our publicity. There's a shot of the cover with the award on it, and, and that will get library attention. One of the best ways to get your book in front of librarians is to show it and to buy a table at any of the American Library Association uh, conferences. So they have two a year, um, a spring and a fall, and they uh, will sell booth space so you can buy you know, a small booth and show your books there. I will say that it's not inexpensive 
to do that. But if you're looking to really tap the library market, that's how to do it. You know, we have a lot of listeners that are authors that have books, and uh, so um, maybe some of them will want to maybe contact you to to review some of their work because we have a lot of people right now that are writing and editing, and but they haven't published yet. So I know well, about, I, I don't I, know, 30 or 40 people that I that I know that listen to our show that are doing this, that are writing right now, getting ready well, to send, send it to, to someone. With, we'd love to work with them through Satyama Writers Resource, which is our division that works with self-published authors and, you know, tries to keep them from making some of the core mistakes that self-published authors often do. So we do all types of editing. You know, we help them. Um, to figure out where they're going to get the money. Often, you know, I'll help them run their own crowdfunding program. I totally believe in crowdfunding, especially for authors, because you can raise the money through pre-sales that you need to order your book from a regular printer. And uh, I do always recommend that people print in China. Um, A lot of people don't like the idea of that, but I think they need to revisit it because that is an industry that the Chinese do really do extremely well. You will get forest sustainable paper because if you print something outside the United States, you can't bring it in through customs without a certificate from the printer demonstrating that it came from wood pulp that was from sustainable harvesting. So, you know, that you're definitely going to get that. Um, They make a kind of paper over there that's called uh, wood-free paper, and it's a mixture of uh, sustainable pulp with polymer, so the paper is very strong. I especially love that for children's books because you know how hard kids are on books. And the paper is um, beautiful and soft, and I also like the color saturation out of China very much. The colors are extraordinary, and you've seen some of our stuff, so you know what I'm talking about. The colors just, you know, jump off the page. They're so um, beautifully uh, done, and the binding is perfect. If you're going to do a children's book, you can get a lay-flat um, book, which is a, a hand-sewn binding, a smith-sewn binding, um, and So just as a for instance, you know, if I'm uh, doing, you know, let's say a 32-page children's book, so that's 16 two-page spreads, it's hardcover, it's got a dust jacket, I can bring that book in uh, for under $2, and that includes my shipping from China all the way to Colorado. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now, in the United States, I can barely get that. You know, often the people that print books in the U.S. don't also do the binding, so they have to send the book someplace else to be bound, and then it comes back, you know, and there's some very fine printers in the United States. It's just that it's, you know, far less affordable, and um, that's why a lot of people end up over at, you know, at a print-on-demand service, because they think, oh, I won't have to store anything, but I had one client who brought me four books that were printed by a very popular print-on-demand service at at four different times, and they didn't even look like the same book. There was no continuity. So um, she decided to, you know, print her book in, in China. So I like to do crowdfunding with people to help them get the money together that they need to print their book. And Crowdfunding, I believe, is the marketing launch for a book. So it's, you know, the first time that, you know, you put your book out there, people can pre-order it, 
And, you know, generally people do um, hit the goal and, and get the money that they need. But the thing that's most important about it to me is that in the, on the big crowdfunding platforms, Indiegogo or Kickstarter, you know, if you're doing a good job of driving people over to your campaign, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that see your book that never would have otherwise, that you can't buy that kind of publicity affordably. So, you know, to me it's the best marketing that you can do is to run a crowdfunding program for your book. And then we do, you know, um, teach them uh, marketing, and I help them get distributors. So those are all the different things that we do for authors. And I truly love working with the authors so much. It's just the best part of my day. It really is. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm noticing what time it is, and I'd like to um, share you with our, my co-host, Arielle, and she, she has the switchboard. Would you be willing to talk to anyone that wants to talk to you now? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. So, Karen, thank you so much for being on the show tonight, and let's stay in touch. I want to talk to you later about about some publishing ideas, okay? Sounds so back great. to you, Arielle. Okay. Well, <clears throat> this is just wonderful. I love the work that you do in supporting authors that that um, are not mainstream. I remember hearing you um, – it might have been – your sister is also involved in this, right? She is my sister Susan. I think you guys know her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's been on the show as well, um, and I think it yeah. was her that uh, that said that um, if if your book is um, the type that that could be, you know, would be published by a mainstream publisher, that you wouldn't be interested in it. That you're looking for the things that are different and that are um, maybe not going to be picked up by a, a a 3D type of a publisher. Well, our our niche is a mind body spirit for sure. You know, we like books about conscious parenting, we like you know, books that have, you know, an, anything to do with um conscious living, um, you know, anything that's mind body spirit that's not more of the same. It's not more of the same, you know. I mean, there's a lot of how to read your astrology chart books out there, so we're not really Looking for something like that, but um, I do like to help publishers, you know, bring their voice forward that may get overlooked by big publishing houses, and you know, part of that could just be the volume of uh, submissions that they're getting at the big houses. But you know, if we do take a project on, then that author gets you know so much much of our attention. It's um, it's almost like they're the only one for for a certain amount of time. That's wonderful, and um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of clients too, who have been working on a book, and they've got the, you know, the chart supports, you know, their writing abilities, and um, and I always tell them about you, just because you well, do, you. you're there for the for the the independent, um, you know, especially like first time authors. So it's just a wonderful thing that you do. So um, you're quite welcome. If anyone has a question or comment for Karen, um, if you're already on the switchboard, then you just need to press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air with a question. And if you are listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And... uh, 
we'll just give it a few minutes here and uh, <laughs> see if anyone has any questions. So okay. you are you are in in Colorado, is that right? I am in Colorado. Yes. And and that's where your um your your publishing company is based. Yes. Yes, we're yeah. in um, well, southern know, Colorado. That's great. I mean, Colorado is such a progressive state, and uh, in a lot of we get a lot of star seeds from Colorado, um, and there seems to be pockets, you know, places in the country where I just keep seeing the same city name over and over again. Um, <clears throat> so you're in a really good place for what you're doing. Well, I agree, and on top of that, it's beautiful here. So <laughs> I'm uh, oh. quite uh, pleased to be in Colorado. It's it's really a lovely place to live. The people are wonderful. It's, I I couldn't be happier. That's great. I I was there for about six months, and uh, <clears throat> I have to agree. I mean, the just the the magnificence of the land. And the you know progressive attitude of the people they're just really really great people, so um yeah, I'm kinda I wish I could come out again <clears throat> uh, so i'm um, I'm still kind of waiting to see if we have any anybody that's uh, calling with a question, but is there anything else that you would like to tell us about uh, either about the game or want, uh, well, we hope that everyone will pre-order a a copy of the game, and um, you know uh, we are running on Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter. You know I've revisited that decision back and forth a hundred times, <laughs> maybe more than a hundred times. But I think we're going to go with uh, Indiegogo. Um, you know more gamers are on Kickstarter, but they are diff- a different kind of game, and uh, there are many uh, there are many tabletop games on Kickstarter, and there are many electronic games over there, but um, I just keep getting the guidance to go to Indiegogo, so I think we're going to uh, launch over there, and it's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O. So if anybody's wanting a copy of our game, and I certainly hope there are a lot, um, they can just calendar to check out uh, Indiegogo um, late Sunday morning, and our campaign will be live. So we're we're very excited about that. You saw the, the promo, and uh, we actually filmed that during a blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was quite interesting. You know, one of the problems we had was uh, that the blizzard was making a lot of noise in the background. Um, so we had to do some things with the sound to kind of uh, cut that out. And the people that came to be our game players in the video could barely get here, just barely. So, um, wow. it, but it was the day we had set for filming, so we just said, you know, we're going to go for it. And um, but I'll always remember that. <laughs> it was quite yeah. an adventure on top of, on top of just making the video. <laughs> yeah. The uh, game really well, is. It's, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Oh no, no. I, I was just going to repeat the the uh, how to find the the demo. But go ahead with you. You're going to say I can I can say that later. Well, I was um, I was only going to say that you know game uh, board board games are on the rise. Uh, which is not something that we knew or planned for. We're not trying to, you know, bring out a product that's riding a popular wave. It was it's something that's been in in progress for a very long time. And you know, now it turns out that when we're launching it, uh, tabletop games are 
are really coming on segment in the retail market. So, um, you know, you don't have to be a mind-body-spirit in the least, uh, a mind-body-spirit-oriented person to enjoy this game and love it. And it's really uh, for everyone. Um, it's unusual. It's it's different. And, you know, I didn't uh, mention before, but I think my favorite part about the game is that the first person to go home isn't a winner. Once a person crosses the gatekeeper's bridge to go home, then the game ends, and the person who has obtained the most wisdom uh, by points wins. So the wisest person wins the game. I love that. (laughs) I love that. So you can't (laughs) – there's no cheating. There's no cheating. And, uh, you know, you have to keep track of how many wisdom cards other people have been able to obtain by journeying around the board and different strategy decisions they've made. But those wisdom points are the ones that are going to make it or break it for you. So um, when people play the game for the first time and they go home and they didn't really read the directions and then they realize they didn't win. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's shocking. Um, but that's one of our favorite little um, twists about the game, making it different. So it's, yeah, it's it's not about the finish line. It's about the journey and what you collect along the way. It's like who you have become, who your character has become, you know, uh, what things you have learned. And in addition to collecting the wisdom cards, of course, you're, uh, collecting wisdom about how you're managing your own journey. Every player encounters perils and um, also receives, you know, magical aid to, you know, help them out of the perils. And, you know, they encounter uh, allies and mentors and things that help them. And it's, you know, how you put that all together. And that's why we always say that the game of Quintangle is a game of life because that's exactly how life works, exactly. Absolutely, and um, and and then each time you play, depending on you know the roll of the die, you be a different character. So it's and and even if you're the same character, it would still be different as you know interacting with other people and and uh, well, every is that right? Is, well, every character card is different, so each character has a different shadow act. Each character has a different set of heroic acts. Um, they have a different talisman, and their talisman has an individual superpower that's just for that character. So every time you play the game, if you are a different character each time, um, you know, you're entering into the world of Quintangled, you know, completely different. Wow. And what are some of the magical aids? Well, a magical aid card would, for example, um, it gives you a tool, so maybe it says uh, Pegasus flies you over any fire peril. Um, it might say, um, oh, gosh, uh, I wish I had them in front of me. They all um, have a mentor or an ally that gives you something to get you out of a peril or move someplace or, you know, uh, avoid a, a bad circumstance. The fake cards, on the other hand, the fake cards are very interesting because half of them are good and half of them are not good. So you might get a fake card that allows you to move anywhere on the board, or you might get a fake card that says, saboteur, go back to the beginning. So um, 
those are really the luck of the draw. They're literally fake cards. And you don't know what you're wow. going to get. <laughs> and what are some of the superpowers? Oh, um, you can only use your superpower one time. But, you know, it could be flying, swimming. It could be invisibility. Um, you know, it could be, uh, well, I don't want to give them all away. But um, okay. they are okay. well, that's they're classical. <laughs> they're classical superpowers that, uh, like you would, you know, think a superpower would be um, that you can use one time in a strategic move. And you only get that when you leave the abyss and you have become your heroic self. Wow. I, I mean, there's such a uh, uh, an analogy for, you know, the starseed journeys. It and, is, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, I, Absolutely. I, uh, I was hoping Julie could be on the show with me tonight, but she's actually, um, she always runs full moon groups, so she is doing that this evening. But she could really talk a lot about the um, esoteric um, implications of almost everything that's built into the game, which, again, you don't need to know or understand or appreciate or even believe in to play the game and enjoy it. But if you do... Uh, you're going to play the game at a really deeper level. You're really going to uh, get a lot out of it. And did Susan do all the illustration? She did. She not only um, equally helped us to uh, create the archetype, you know, to choose the archetypes, to, um, you know, put together, you know, how the game was going to be played, what the rules would be, and, you know, we just changed our mind about so many things, you know, over the five years. But, you know, she, her art is so um, jaw-dropping. I don't know another um, superlative to use it. Her work is stunning. She is the one. Stunning. Um, she was yeah. On, yeah, she, um, I don't know if you recall that she was on your show a while back, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, talking about how the trees got their voices, which is her children's book. And, um, she's won uh, so many awards for that book. She actually has 17 national awards, and quite a few of them are not only for the book itself but for the design of it. Um, so, you know, the thing that people, when they see the box for our game and they see the game board, they want to play it immediately for its sheer beauty. It's just absolutely beautiful to look at. Yeah, yeah I remember when she was on the show. So I, I figured that um, that the artwork would be just magnificent it is uh, i have to say you know i'm completely biased but, um, <laughs> when you go to the uh indiegogo campaign on sunday you'll um see you know you saw the video so you saw a picture of the box in there and there'll be you know more of that you know in our campaign as well and uh, we're just very um, excited about bringing it out to the world. We've been waiting for this moment for a long time. How'd you come up with the name, Quintangle? Well, well, we originally were going to call it Quintile because the journey itself has five um, ta- uh, five uh, phases. You know, depart from the ordinary world, descend into the world of uh, Quintangle, the abyss. And then there's the return and restore. And those are the five parts of the journey, which, again, you don't even have to know 
um, anything about that, even though it's in Julie's, you know, little booklet, The World of Quintangle, which is, you know, with the game. So if you want to read more about that, you can. But um, there are five classic phases, uh, which are like the um, template I talked about that runs through uh, mythology and a lot of the cultures, you know, the stories from a lot of the cultures around the world. And um, so, you know, we wanted to call it something that had to do with five. So we started with quintile. And as the game board became more and more intricate, we decided to call it quintangles. Uh, when you see the game board, you'll totally get it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's, it's, I think it's a great name because it's probably got so many layers that you can, you know, you can play the game over and over again and find new layers. Well, I think that the one thing about the game that's so funny is that I'm always saying the tagline wrong. So the name of the game is Quintangle, the game of strategy, chance, and destiny. Even when I sent you guys a description of the game, I always substitute choice for chance, and then Julie just dies laughing every time, you know. She's like, we've only been working five years, I think you could probably get the name of the game right, but I've just got this mental thing where I've just substituted a choice for chance, but it is a yeah. game of strategy, chance, and destiny. So, um, well, that is yeah, but yeah, I mean, still your choices do always, your choices um, lead you to your destiny, so yeah, I think it works both ways. Maybe you could have choice, chance, and destiny. <laughs> Well, I, you know, and that's a big part of the game, too, is that your choices create your outcome. You know, your choices create your path. Um, you know, the what you choose, you know, sets you on this course or that course. And even on the game board, there are places where you can't avoid bad things happening. You know, just, again, like in life, that, you know, stuff's going to happen. And it's, you know, our choices, how we're going to deal with it. So um, that's one of my favorite aspects of the game. It sounds to me like there's there's a lot of um, possibility for passive learning, if you want to think of it that way, where, you know, after the game, even though it, you had fun and being with your friends and all that, it gives you something to think about it and maybe, you know, um, integrating some of those concepts into, you know, your real um, game of life. There's no question about that. Um even yeah. people that have played the game uh, multiple times will say, well, this thing happened today. It reminded me of the desert demon. <laughs> They're telling us uh, stuff like that. And it's equally appealing to uh, men and women, for sure. But one of the things that I've noticed that I really love about the game is that when people have played it a couple times, players will start helping each other. Like, oh, you could go over here, you know, instead of doing this, you could go over there. So it's you know, not like, you know, I'm going to keep you from succeeding. You know, everybody seems to start collaborating and helping each other, and I found that to be uh, unique. Absolutely. Yeah, most most games, it's it's about, the, you know, competition and, and uh, you know, win at all costs. But this is, this is a complete departure from that. Well, it is. And, you know, some people play it at win at all costs because that's what they're used to doing with a game. But even after a couple of times, you know, when people are trying to decide what they're going to do with their move, you know, they'll even say, you know, if you went this way, you could avoid this. And so I, I just uh, find that an unexpected um, benefit. Aside from benefit Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, I want to um, put this uh, on the on the recording because a lot of people are going to be downloading this show because we do record the show and archive it. And um, if you're listening after the show has already concluded, just go to our show page here at blogtalkradio.com um, forward slash Starseed Radio Academy. Um, and on the show page at the end of the show description, there's the Dropbox link where you can um, see a demo video of the game being played. So um, I'm so happy that you've done this and you've completed it. I mean, five years, that's a long time, so you must feel really good about actually being at the launch point, I mean, just days away. Um, February 4th it will be um, available for pre-order at Indiegogo.com. And... um, you know, makes a great gift. <laughs> you know, get your Christmas gifts really early. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we so much appreciate your coming on the show this evening. And um, apparently um, no one has any questions. But like I said, um, a lot of people will listen um, throughout the week. And um, No problem. And we your also web- have, a Facebook, we have a Facebook page for Quintangled. Uh, which is just like it sounds, Quinn Tangled. So there's a Facebook page, and there'll be links on our Facebook page starting Sunday of where to get the game um, and also the video so people can watch uh, the video over there as well. So um, there's a lot of different um, places where you can get information. Um, If you like Facebook, uh, you can go there now and see our beautiful logo. It's one of my favorite things. And uh, I so appreciate being able to come and talk about the game today. Um, it, it, it means a lot to us, and I don't think it's an accident that it's, you know, about the number five and it took us five years to make it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, and for any um, budding independent authors, if they, your, your main website is satyama.com. S A T I A M A. Yes. And, 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 and they can go to the tab that says Satyama Writers Resource and click on that. We have a separate website for Satyama Writers Resource, but you can get there from our main site either way. So, um, love to hear from budding authors out there. There's nothing that I love more than talking to people about their work and trying to help them bring their voice forward into the world. That is so needed. It is so needed um, to have an independent person who understands the mind, body, spirit, and um, you know, being kind of outside the box because that's where that's where the star seeds live outside the box. So um, I'm, I'm so wonderfully glad that you have this resource for people and this wonderful new game and. Uh, I can't wait to get one. Thank you so much. Well, I'll be sending you guys one as a gift. So um, I'll collect uh, information from uh, you by email to send in the book that um, Lavendar would like to receive, and then I'll have your address, and I'm most happy to send you guys um, a game when they come. Oh, that would be wonderful. Because, Lavendar, I'm already thinking that maybe we'll, we'll take this to Arkansas and uh, and and people will love it. We, you know, we really hope so. Yeah, we have our groups come in four times a year. <clears throat> so 
Well, this has just been wonderful visiting with you this evening, and we thank you so much for spending your time with us. And once again, uh, go to Indiegogo.com on February 4th, and the game will be available for pre-order. And uh, let us know how it does, and certainly um, give a big hug to Julie when you see her. And, I definitely uh, will. We'll look forward to hearing uh, some news about this. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Karen Stuth, thank you so much for being with us this evening on Starseed Radio Academy. And um, for the, our audience, we thank you also for listening. And from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we wish you the best week ever. Don't miss that full moon in the morning. And yes. take care. Thank you. Take care. Live in gratitude. Until next time, bye-bye. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 